documentaries, history, insights, interviews, chefs deep dive. Welcome to the first podcast of 2020 and hopefully one of many. And we're in double digits now. I'm not even bothering counting what number episode we're on. But we're doing fine and people are listening. So this week I've got some little tintillating tastation of a film for you to listen to. Yes, that is a word. I've made it up just now. Spellbounding, magical, wide-eyed, emotional brilliance. Fun-filled with splatters of dark realism of world war and something of a connection to a gory 80s horror flick oh yes listen on listeners you'll find out things about this film which will turn your hair white so settle back and listen as sheps deep dives into the 1960s disney family musical adventure nope not mary poppins it's bed knobs and broomsticks Now, a lot of you might be sat there, those budding bed knobs and broomsticks geeks out there, and go, hey, Mr. Shep, it most certainly is not a 1960s film, but a 1971 it came out. Well, hold on there, chappy chap chaps and chapesses, because this film was fraught with production's problems from the beginning. Originally, Walt Disney wanted to make Mary Poppins in the early 1960s, but he ran into a bit of a cropper trying to get the rights for it. There's actually a film made of him trying to get the rights starring Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson. So while that was being made, they started to work on another film, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, using the Sherman Brothers again who did the music for Mary Poppins and they started to develop this film. Then around 1963 time the rights came through for Mary Poppins allowing them to make the film. Sherman Brothers moved their attention to make Mary Poppins, finished it in 1964. Production started to work on Bedknobs and Broomsticks again. It only got into full production after rewrites of the scripts and using some of the music which was originally planned for Mary Poppins. The beautiful briny sea was originally for Mary Poppins when she's taking the children into that weird wonderland and now fits perfect in the underwater animated dancing. How pleasant bobbing along, bobbing along on the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. What a chance to get a better peep at the plants and creatures of the deep. We glide far below the rolling tide. Serene through the bubbly blue and green. It's lovely bobbing along. And yes, 
David Cecil Tomlinson played Professor Milius Brown and also George Banks in Mary Poppins it comes up again doesn't it both Mary Poppins and this film was directed by Robert Stevenson there was both written and produced by Bill Walsh and Don Gaddaddy Gaddaddy and whatever way you say it and both had the music written by the Sherman Brothers no wonder this film gets compared to Mary Poppins time and time again even though it's a completely different film and stands on its own merit and my listeners will know each week I'll have to try something a little bit different so in this week I found some scary fan theory so listen to this little tidbit of a number one fan theory which is terrifying is the fact and relation of bed numbers and broomsticks to evil dead let's just think about it not only is it scary enough to be a anti-nazi film kids being taken from their mum and dad thrown into an otherwise psychedelic dream world of this witch we then get cast aside as she Fires tries desperately to find that book and that chanting the book the book of the flesh as she then creates an undead medieval army of the dead makes you think how much in common there is between this and the evil dead here's a little snippet trailer put together this is the famous scene in the evil dead where they bring forth the demons from hell What'd you do that for? It's just getting good. I just don't want to hear it anymore, that's all. This guy. Hey, come on, I just want to hear the rest of it. No big deal. Kaguna, Akoides, Kakorum, take this seat. Shut it off. Kaguna, Akoides, shut it. Kakorum, shut it More fan theories to come in the future, listen out for them. Makes you think, doesn't it? Well that certainly had me thinking that's possible fan theory and if you actually have a quick tinternet look, there's links to Walt Disney to the occult and a lot of people bring up this movie as being one with a lot of symbolism running all the way through it you know they would find symbolism in everything just pick up your dollar or pick up your pound note pound note Jesus Christ how old am I 20 pound note or something twist it this way and that and you've got a certain symbol indicates the queen is a lizard there's always some madcaps out there anyway back to the plot listening to this if you didn't know the plot so i'm sure you're aware that it's about some kids meet this woman who turns out to be a witch not a wench a witch and then she wants this other part of a book a special book turns her bed into a flying bed takes the kids over to london which is already a bombed out place which that's where they came from so why she's taking them there and putting them at risk who's to know it's to meet professor brown once they meet him he finds out that he's just a bit of a harwin just someone to try and get a little bit of money of people yeah he's a crook bastard he then takes him to portobello road which is a 
fabulous place and everybody's singing and dancing forget about all the bombs running around everywhere here it is portobello road portobello road street where the riches of ages are stowed anything and everything a chap can unload is sold off the barrow in portobello road you'll find what you want in the portobello road we're any genuine plaster. A filigrid samovar owned by the Tsars. A pen used by Shelley. A new Botticelli. The snippers that slipped old King Edward's cigars. Made in Hong Kong. Two bob a dozen, would you say? Wonderful crystal! Napoleon's pistols. Society heirlooms with genuine gems. Rembrandt's El Guecos. Toulouse Latrecos. Painted last week on the banks of the Thames. Very interesting, but where do they sell books? There's a little place around the corner. Street where the riches of ages are stowed. Anything and everything a chap can unload is sold off the barrow in Portobello Road. So not only have they been taken back to London, putting their lives potentially at risk with the risk of bombs, at no point at ever in the film did they turn around and say, you know what, while I'm in London, can I go and see my mum and dad? And then they meet another character who says he has the book, who, shall we say, is... He's a fucking thief. How naive is Miss Price? Then he tells them to come down to my basement and I'll lock you in until you give me your side of the book. Hmm, arguments ensue, they twist a knob and they fly off with their bed to the island the boo-boo, where they play a game of football. Why do the Americans insist on calling it soccer? Why do they have such a problem calling it football? It's a game played with a ball that is struck with the foot. Hence, foot ball, you see? And this is where they teach the kids how to thieve by taking the star of Astaroth off the King Lion. Once done, they get back onto the bed and fly back to England, only to realise the star what they got doesn't work outside the fantasy realm of the island Nabubu. What the fuck are you talking about? The whole film could have been within around 20 minutes long if Paul would have turned around and showed everybody the comic he'd found, which had the star on the back and the entire spell. Mr. Brown and Miss Price have a little tete-a-tete, which never goes further than just him sharing his sausage <whistles> and the eating type. He then decides to leave and go back to London, only to realise the Germans have invaded the Germans, then capture them and put them into the museum. Mr. Brown turns up as a white floppy That's a rabbit! And Miss Price turns what's left of the uniforms and armour of medieval times into faceless demons, warriors able to fight off the Germans. Miss Price spell wears off, she crash lands and decides she's never going to be a witch again. By the looks of it, at the end of the film, she ends up with Mr. Price, and who knows what happens to the kids. Maybe they go back to London, or maybe the parents just leave them there. Ships Trivia! Trivia! Familiar! Ships Trivia!
Disney originally wanted Julie Andrews to be the lead role instead of Angela Lansbury, but she turned it down. Only months later, she changed her mind. Mm, but Angela Lansbury had already signed, sealed, and had it in contract she was doing it. There's a hidden Mickey in the movie. If you look closely, one of the bears is wearing a t-shirt with Mickey Mouse's face on. Boom. Also, there's reference to the Spartans. The King of Leonidas is the name of the lion. There is a stage musical in production to go live this year. That's 2020, I'm speaking. Probably on the back of the success of Wicked and Mary Poppins shows. Let's hope this one does well. A rumour of a film remake is also in the works. Well, as you know, Disney is remaking a lot of their old stuff at the moment with Beauty and the Beast, Lion King and Dumbo. Let's hope this one gets made. As there's rumour also, another rumour, that Kevin Smith, the director from Clerks, is attached to be making this film. Well, it's all about the length, isn't it? Bed numbs and bruises. The original runtime was 141 minutes, but as it was scheduled to play at the Radio City Music Hall, they had to cut it down because of the large theatre elaborate stage show they was had planned as well. They cut over 23 minutes of it, reducing it to just two hours. They took out subplot of the priest. I always wondered why that priest was so significant in the film. They cut so much of his to only just one minute of time. They cut over three pieces of music and they cut an extended version of the Portobello Road dance sequence. Then hold your hats here. They cut it again for a 1979 re-release into the theatres down to 96 minutes oh my god i hear what you're saying but where's the other half now oh, it's probably been thrown away but if it still exists there's only one place to find it and you were right mr brown disney went back into its archives to look for a step in the right direction song what they did for the film for the 25th anniversary lucky for them not only did they find the audio of this song but they also found extra footage of the portobello road they also found footage of the priest and other parts of the film as well sadly though the bit what they went looking for a step in the right direction they could only find the audio and not the film footage well it has been remastered and remastered again throughout the years for various incarnations for the home media back in 2001 and again in 2014 adding a total of 117 minutes to the film from its 96 minutes there's still some missing out there maybe one day it can turn back up and the winner is the winner is the winner is yep winner as it's nearly Oscars coming around the corner, I think it's in February, isn't it? We have to have a look at what this film won. Now, it was nominated for five Academy Awards for Best Visual Effects, Best Costume Design, Best Art and Direction, Best Scoring Adaption and Original Song Score. I don't know how I can get away with original song score when part of it, as we have explained, was coming from Mary Poppins and Best Song from the Original for The Picture. Now, the one what was nominated out of this was The Age of Not Believing. Here it is.
When you rush around in hopeless circles, searching everywhere for something true, you're at the age of not believing when all the make-believe is through. When you set aside your childhood heroes and your dreams are lost upon a shelf, you're at the age of not believing and worst of all, you doubt yourself. You're a castaway where no one hears you on a barren isle in a lonely sea. Where did all the happy endings go? Where can all the good times be? You must face the age of not believing, doubting everything you ever knew. Until at last you start believing there's something wonderful in you. Yep, this beautiful song was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song. And it is beautiful. It's all about innocence and having you to believe in Engeltine's magic to achieve their goals. And it's at that point in the film where the kids truly start to believe in Engeltine. So on one side you had this innocent song of children trying to believe and understanding their new ways and trust in the world. And it was beaten by... Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? You're damn right. Yep, 70s was the years of gritty cinema, of Stanley Kubrick, of blaxploitation like Shaft. You've got French Connection films and The Omen all rising through. So you had this little Disney film on a budget of around 6 million made approximately 30 million back. Which, considering everyone kept comparing it to Mary Poppins, made, which was made for around 5 million and got around 100 million back this wasn't a massive commercial failure it was just at the wrong time i wonder if they brought bedknobs and brooms account first before mary poppins would we be having a different conversation now 1970s and the 80s didn't do too well for disney this was the part of where there was languishing in old straight-to-TV movies or just silly family movies which didn't hit the fame as their previous stuff. All that changed in 1989 when they won their next Academy Award. Yep, all those years from Ben and Bruce it to 1989, then they won an award for The Little Mermaid. And from that onwards, Money started rolling in, obviously when they acquired Marvel, etc, etc. So I watched this film a couple of times to put this podcast together. And I have to say, it is not just a walk down memory lane for the nostalgia purposes. The film is good. Better than good, I really loved it. And it will still stand the test of time. It's brilliantly inventive with loads of laughs. This movie will delight kids of all ages with its great characters, exciting story and catchy tunes. Lansbury is perfect, who takes the three children on the adventures of a lifetime. 
The three kids in the film just add to the element of fun and enjoyment to an already delightful movie. At least elements of it. My eight-year-old looks at it and says, Can you forward it to the football bit, please? Yep, we do. This movie, like so many on my podcast I review, is a timeless classic. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Shep's Deep Dive into Bedknobs and Broomsticks. (laughs) 